So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay. Well, listen here. Hello, I'm Miss H, and today Mr. O and I will be discussing episode six of season eight, Life After Lockup. On this episode, Chance comes up with a flimsy excuse for texting another man. Lindsay hides her birth control from Blaine. Michael and Justine break the news of their move to his kids. Chevelle lies to Quaylen to protect Myela, and Louie and Melissa's families meet. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating, and if you watch 90 Day Fiancé, check out our other podcast channel, 90 Day MK, Teachable Moments with Miss H and Mr. O. Thanks and enjoy. Hello, Miss H. Hello, Mr. O. How are things going with you? Uh, pretty good, considering winter break is over for me. I know you've been back for a week, but... I, I, you know. it was, this was actually a weird, a weird year because, you know, because where the holidays fell, yeah. I, I actually only had a three day week last week. So that wasn't too bad. I kind oh, of, okay. I kind of, I kind of appreciate going back to a three day week. Cause you go back you're like, this is awful. I'm back at work. And then you're like, Oh wait, it's Friday. Okay. I can do that. I feel like it's the buildup and the anticipation. That's much worse. Cause once I was actually at work sure. and after For, my yeah. first class, I was like, this is really isn't bad. I don't <laughs> know why I was dreading this as much as I was. <laughs> No, for sure. For sure. It's the get, getting up is always the hardest part. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. And get, speaking of trying to get jobs, let's get, start with Melissa and Louie. <laughs> so Louie is on his way for his first job interview, which is at a gym, which is the job he wanted to have, not the one Melissa wanted to have. Yeah. So he just says he was cold calling gyms and picked the one closest to the house and asked if he could come in for an interview. So here he goes. So he says that he started making workout plans for people in prison, and that's kind of where he got the, oh, yeah, you should be a personal trainer type <laughs> stuff, where I, I wonder if it's kind of similar to, like, the people who rap in prison and all the prisoners who don't actually get to experience anything better are like, oh, yeah, you're really good at this. <laughs> so anyway, he says that Melissa gave him crap about this interview, which is irritating to him. She's concerned, of, obviously, about the women, but that's not what he's, he's not thinking about women at all. So he sits down at the counter to meet with the manager who hands Louie an application. So he tells the manager that he has some experience training people, but it's not really professional experience. So he's very upfront about his criminal history. And this is like as soon as the manager mentions a background check, he's just like, I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to find something <laughs> on the background check. But I've completely turned my life around. So the manager correctly guesses that his uh, crimes were drug related. And Louie is like, yep, you got it, but I'm sober now. So the manager tells says that, you know, you seem like a trustworthy guy right now, but I don't trust heroin and I'm going to be worried about a relapse, which is a really common theme for this uh, this episode here. Yeah. Worried about a relapse, even after like 10 years of sobriety. Mm -hmm. So Rob, that's the name of the manager, tells us that Louis seems like a nice guy and everything, but, eh, you know, he seems to think that the best intentions right now, they're not as hot. He, it's not going to work, right? He doesn't really seem interested. So Louis says that he's annoyed about how much people don't want to hire violent felons because he doesn't know how he's supposed to fix himself if he can't get a job. So in the car, he tells us that he, you know, takes full responsibility for anything that's happened to him, but it still sucks. So next up is the first big family gathering with Melissa and her family and Louis and Donna and everybody for her, for the housewarming for this new place. So Melissa's getting ready and is also frustrated because Louie's out of this job interview, which she just says is a waste of time because he's clearly not getting this job. Aww. So she's stressed out about um, getting all the housewarming stuff ready, but things that need to get done, you know, they're getting, they get done. They're fine. Everybody shows up. And Melissa's first Melissa's dad and her sister and her family. So her brother-in-law, Mike, 
uh, takes Louis' side. He agrees that this interview wasn't a waste of time. He just thinks mm -hmm. Melissa's expectations are like way too high. So he defends Louis by kind of like, you know, doing that thing where you explain the situation. He's like, he got out of prison like two, two months ago in a different state. Like, and he's yeah. already interviewing for jobs. Like, well, I don't know what you expect more than that. So seems pretty good to him. So Louis promises that he he'll have a job in two weeks. And then Donna comes in and gets introduced to everyone. So Donna has a housewarming gift that we don't see, but then they fill her in on this disagreement. Obviously, she's on Team Louie, even Sherry. though Sherry, who is uh, Melissa's sister, eh, is on Team Waste of Time. She says he should have just had job interviews lined up and ready to go before he got here. What? So she's just like, that doesn't happen with people on his background. What, what world are you guys in? Um, so, you know, and she actually says, she knows it doesn't happen because she was there when he was trying to set up job interviews on the phone and he yeah. was just getting rejected left and right. So Sherry had, clearly has an ax to grind with Donna. So they go outside, go out to another room to talk privately. Now, remember here that Sherry had a relationship with an addict. I don't know if it was a boyfriend or ex-boyfriend that died of an overdose. Um, so she's pretty much not, I say worried, but really pretty, she seems pretty positive that's going to happen to Louie too. So um, they agree that Melissa doesn't know what she, that Melissa, they both agree that Melissa doesn't know what she's getting into. And Donna tells Sherry about her experience with Louis' addiction, including like, you know, talking about when he decided to get clean, which is, which was in prison. So that's really, Sherry thinks that's the real test. When you're in prison, it's easy to stay clean. There's not like drugs everywhere. I mean, I think there is drugs everywhere in prison, yeah. but um, so anyway, she'll, a little she'll, bit harder to access, a little bit harder to access, but they're still there. Like he was in prison using, we know he was in, using in prison. Oh, still. sure. Like, At least half the time he said he's only been sober five years and he's been in prison for 10. So right, exactly. Yeah. So, but Sherry says she'll never trust, trust an addict, which means she doesn't trust Louie. So back with everybody. Now, Sherry and Donna are still disagreeing about Louie and you know, Donna's like trying to Sherry, – Sherry tells Donna that Melissa is obviously the catch of this relationship, which, you know, Donna doesn't like. Don't base, don't touch Louis based on who he was 11 years ago. And that's when Ronald gets involved. He speaks up and he just says Melissa – Donna's too attached to Louis and she's like, well, you're too attached to your girls. And they admit – he admits he's very protective of Melissa and he says this while holding that stupid baseball bat again. This time it's just like yeah. rocking it on the floor. <laughs> like – He's like, I'm 75. Jail doesn't scare me. And then Donna's talking. And they just like are vaguely threatening each other. Two old people threatening each other with violence. Right. Donna's like, I can't do it. But you turn around. You won't know who's – you're going to guess who's there. So it was, uh, it, was, it was something. But anyway, so later on, Ronald, Ron goes out for a smoke. Donna follows him. She has a smoke too. And she tries to smooth things over. So, of course, they're going to be protective of their own kids. It's a difficult adjustment for her. You know, and because he's this is the first time he's like been out and, you know, she hasn't been with him, but he's also been completely unsupervised, like in mm -hmm. prison. She was like, well, he's in prison. What can he get into? Um, so she kind of asked Ron to take a, keep an eye on him. And then they go, oh, yeah, we're family. And like everything's fine. So um, Louis says that altogether things could have gone worse and they're close to being in the place they need to be in now. So now Donna goes to have a one on one with Louis. She starts off by crying because she's saying her goodbyes. Um, she gives him a bracelet for him to wear to remember her by. And then she tells, she says, you know, if you need anything, I'll sell the house and come to Jersey. Just let me know. Like whatever. <laughs> Since she has to have one more, one more word with Melissa to tell them, you know, after all, we're on the same side here. We both want what's best for Louie. 
Um, and Melissa says she just gets to get along with Donna because, you know, it's not a one or the other situation. But it just does, still doesn't sit right with her because she's never dated a mama's boy before. Melissa thinks this is really all about Donna being lonely and just not wanting just wanting Louis there for company. So, that, of course, she doesn't say that to Donna. She just tells that to us after Donna's gone. So, really big yeah. talk. So, she's really ready for Donna to move and, and, and you know, but she f- assumes that she's Donna's going to have more tricks up her sleeves in order to stay up in, the, up in their business. Okay. So, I mean, where were you on this? Is, is, are you on the, the the job interview as a waste of time team or are you on team whatever? He's doing the best he can. I don't think any job interview is a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, I think that every job interview is at least practice, right, for the job interview that you really want. And I think that, you know, we saw who was it last year uh, or last season uh, with the HR person oh, right, uh, right, right. trying to mock interview her boyfriend <laughs> mm-hmm. and how he just didn't take it very seriously. And I think it is difficult to take it seriously. I think uh, you know, having a mock interview just really isn't the same as having an interview. And sure, you know, like maybe it doesn't go your way. Uh, but at the same time, it's like that's good job interview experience for the next one. Yeah. And it's also like every single job interview you go on, even if it's a long shot, mm-hmm. is a non-zero chance that you'll get a job. Yeah. Every interview you stay home from is a zero percent chance you'll get a job. Like right, you have to right. do it, even if you even if it's a long shot. Like you just have to keep keep pounding the pavement, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't you know try to pick out interviews that'll be more likely to get you that you'll that you'll get the job, places that you're a better fit with, and yeah. you do have to take each one seriously. You don't just give it and be like, hey, can I have a job? Nope. Okay, bye. You have to take them seriously. But yeah, it's good practice. It's a non-zero chance. I just don't. I don't know what else he's supposed to do to help get himself a job. Certainly not going to a job interview doesn't help him get a job. So I'm confused what he's supposed to be doing instead. Yeah, I just think that the whole family, her whole family was just being really unreasonable except for the brother-in-law. Yeah. Because it's like, what do you expect him to do? You know, like she always talks about, you know, she wants him to be a professional man. She doesn't want him to have these, like, she thought the pizza job was like beneath him. And, and it's she, like. Which is like, she's a bartender. I don't exactly. understand why. I don't understand. Which I have nothing against bartenders. No, like, no. But I don't understand how you're going to be a bartender and say the pizza job's not a real job. They're the same right. level of job. Like. Yeah. Maybe she's thinking that she, maybe she gets more tips. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because maybe. it's a I don't bar. Know. But. Even still, it doesn't matter. They are essentially the same job. So I thought she was being or she is being really, really harsh on him. And like the uh, brother-in-law's right. They're just unrealistic. Yeah. I, I, and, and and the thing was that that wasn't like Sherry, her sister, had yeah. really didn't have any beef with that. She just is like, this guy did drugs. I hate him. Like yeah. he sucks. Everything he does sucks. I hate him. Like there's there's nothing he could he's going to do to change her mind. Like she's going to be like, no. Right. And it's so difficult. It makes me feel bad, you know, because it's like, you're right. What does a second chance look like for someone who's a drug addict, right? Because like even thinking about his job uh, interview with the uh, gym owner, Mm -hmm. you know, that gym owner was really, really wary of that because it's like, well, why would you want to invite that potential, 
you know, conflict or that potential drama into your workplace. But I, I get it from the owner's perspective, but I also get it from Louis's perspective. It's like, how is he setting himself up for success if he can't put himself in a place where he is desperate for money, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. If no one's giving him a second chance and I just really, really feel for him, like, how do you prove yourself to other people that you really are rehabilitated and that you really are clean and that you're reformed? It's like you really can't prove it to people. And it's just so sad that that's how it works. But I but I get the caution. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, both of them, the, the manager and Sherry. Mm-hmm. Have have a pass with this clearly. Yeah, like I feel like clearly this guy was like, "Oh, you're clean. That's great. You're so many years sober." And then hired him, and then you know, six months in, was like, "Well, this guy stole from us again." Like yeah. you know, like I I feel like they both. We know that Sherry has right. Yeah. But the way the manager was talking about it was that too. But right. But now you're holding Louis responsible for somebody else's mistakes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like because he made a mistake because he did. He was somebody else eleven years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is really – I mean it's related to that frustrating thing a lot of us had coming out of college of the um, entry-level position, minimum experience required, five years. And it was like, well, I don't understand how I'm supposed <laughs> to get these five years experience if I never – if you, nobody will hire me if I don't have five years experience, right? Right, right, yeah. And so yeah. – uh, Yeah, and so because I get it. I mean you don't want to hire somebody that isn't going to work. That's expensive, right? Yeah. That, that's That's tough on you, but – Right. There's got to be some kind of middle ground there. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, let's talk about, you know, other people that aren't having such positive things happen <laughs> on this episode. And that was uh, Chevelle and Quaylen. So Chevelle is checking in with her daughter, Myla, to see how she feels about the wedding and about Quaylen being her stepdad. Myla doesn't want to go to the wedding and she's not excited about it. Chevelle suspects it's because Mayula does, just doesn't want to see them kissing. And Mayula agrees that she doesn't want to see that. And instead, she shows Chevelle a handshake or a dance that she can do after they say I do instead of a kiss. Chevelle wants to know if this runs deeper than a kiss and asks Mayula if she likes Quaylen. And Mayula doesn't seem to like him enough to want to live with him if Chevelle dies, which she brings up curious scenarios and ways her mom could die like Mm -hmm. drinking something or falling (laughs) down so chevelle looks really sad at this conversation chevelle thinks that myela is just being overprotective of her since chevelle and quaylen haven't always been on the best of terms chevelle asks about the adventure park they had gone to and myela cuts her off saying yeah still not happy Myela wishes that Chevelle were there, you know, with them at Adventure Park, and she's saying that she will not call Quaylen dad in the future. Chevelle is concerned that Myela just isn't adjusting as well as she would like in the timeline that she was hoping for, and now she's not sure how Quaylen would feel about all of this. So later, Chevelle and Quaylen are in the kitchen, and Chevelle says that she's having second thoughts on calling her baby daddy. Uh, to try convince him to give up his rights. And Quaylen points out that the adoption process will have a better chance if he does give up his rights. 
Chevelle is trying to avoid telling Quaylen that Myula is having thoughts about this, about Quaylen adopting her. And instead, Chevelle says that she's having a change of heart and she say she says that it's going too fast. Quaylen says that her ba- baby daddy doesn't do anything and he wants to get to know him. So Quaylen wants to go over Chevelle's head and contact him himself because he doesn't like how she's handling all this. They then just break out into just like arguing over one another, which is kind of difficult to follow. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they start making threats about not getting married. So it's pretty clear that Chevelle is having this argument kind of on behalf of and protecting Myela, which I was kind of surprised because she doesn't seem like that great of a mom sometimes. So to kind of put this on her is interesting, but at the same time, I don't know. What do you think is better for her to protect Myela in this case and kind of take the bullet for her or for her to be honest with Quaylen about why she's trying to essentially sabotage this ad- adoption process? I don't know. Like this, it's a really tough call for me because mm-hmm. I'm usually one for open communication and like, let me know, let them know what's going on. Like, yeah. you know, put it all, put it all on the table. Hey, I had a conversation with Myela, made me kind of wonder where she's at with all this and, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, possibly, I honestly think there probably needs to be like therapy involved and counseling mm-hmm. involved for her. Um, cause you'll probably have a professional be able to get to the bottom of her feelings a little bit better than, yeah. than Chevelle would. That said this extremely quick, extremely tight turnaround of what seems like her feelings toward Quaylen is very yeah. concerning, right? Yeah. Did something happen is like the, thing that's popping into my head all of a sudden this dude that you were calling dad i don't want to call him dad i don't want to live with him his breath stinks like he shouldn't be around i think you guys shouldn't get married you shouldn't kiss him is all like for somebody that she was pretty excited about like two days ago yeah that makes me think like what happened right? right and if it was something that happened if there was any kind of abuse or anything like that you don't want to tip him off that that's what's going on right mm. that she shared this with you because now what's he gonna do right so I, I understand her instinct to protect, um, to protect Myela and her, and, you know, and I appreciate her, you, you know, talk about her not being a great mom sometimes, her actually listening to Myela, right? Right. And, and taking right. it seriously. Well, I mean, the reason why I say probably not the best mom sometimes is, you know, any of these, you know, and there's so many of them is become a trope on this show, right? Where someone is trying to make their new prison boo like insta dad. Like any situation of that is always kind of like, uh, is that the best parenting decision for you and your family? And so I would definitely categorize Chevelle in that, uh, you know, situation. So it is mm-hmm. interesting that she is she isn't trying to push Quaylen. I super appreciate that, but at the same time, it just seems so obvious seeing the other side of it that it's just like you are deceiving Quaylen. This is why this fight happened. Yeah, and it was a it was a dumb fight um, because yeah. she should have came up with a better reason or a better delay tactic than I don't think I want to call him. Like, yeah. why not? Because eh, gonna... I don't feel like it. He, I don't yeah. want to talk to him. He's a butt. Like, and it because that makes it sound like you just don't care enough about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're just like whatever. Like, I don't feel like it. Well, I like, think and that that's, he that's came to the end of the way. Like, he came to the right conclusion, right? The right conclusion is that Chevelle is trying to sabotage this whole adoption process, right? He didn't quite, quite make the connection, connection, but he said, you know, if you don't call him, this adoption isn't going to happen. 
okay. So it's like, well, yeah, but you're now having him think the worst of the situation instead of communicating that there's maybe a decent reason why she's right. sabotaging the situation. Well, and, now, and now you have, but that's the thing is she wasn't upfront about like, listen, she, she could have taken the bullet and been like, listen, yeah. I'm having second thoughts about sure. this adoption, right? Yeah. I have – and come up with your own concerns that you have, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. You have concerns X, Y, Z. You think about it. Come up with concerns and actually give him reasons. Don't actually do the thing that makes him say, this makes it seem like you're sabotaging it, right? So you're not – you're not. he knows you're not being upfront with him. Right. So he knows you're like hiding something, trying to pull tricks, trying to be manipulative instead of just being like, listen, I'm, I, I want to take I – I have this. I'm going to straightforwardly tell you yeah. that I'm having – you know, second thoughts, or I want to make sure X, Y, Z is in order before we actually do this. But she doesn't do that, right? right? And he has to come up to this conclusion. And by the time that by the time he figures it out, they're just screaming at each other. Yeah. And so there's not a productive conversation anymore. Right. Right. And instead, it's like, are you guys even going to get married? I don't know. I think they probably will at this point. I think I they think, probably will. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's pretty serious about this, which is surprising. Mm-hmm. Given what we've seen of him, but he seems yeah, pretty serious because, about this family and committed. Because you're right, the dynamic usually goes the other way. It's usually yeah. the mom who's like, "I need you to be her dad," and he's like, "Uh." Yeah. <laughs> it's like this goes the other way. All right, so um, oh man, we have I have I have two good ones left. Let's. Yeah. I feel like we usually end with Taylor and Chance, so let's do Taylor and Chance first. Okay. All right, so this was a mess. So yeah, we start with it was. Them. We but we kind of knew it was heading that way. Yeah, but it got there real fast. Oh, it did. Yeah. So we start off without the mess happening, right? So Taylor right. and Chance are making a table because that's what they do for their business. They make those like wood and wooden resin tables. And she wants to know how things went with Bobo because that was the thing we saw before. Chance is not really eager to talk about it because, you know, he was a puppy with his tail between his legs. But he tells her that everything's good and Bobo is just upset that Chance didn't stay in touch, which is one way to put it. Um, he also comes clean that he got the money by borrowing it from Zach, and he's going to have to work it off It's various Zach's businesses. So uh, he thinks that after all the recent shit they've been through, they should be ro- more romantic. So he takes her outside to surprise her with the Zach's hoopty limousine. That's romantic. Oh, um, her first question of how much did this cost, and he was like, it was free because, you know, th- basically this is his advertisement to maybe I should get into this limo business. <laughs> he's just borrowing it uh, to get to convince her. So anyway, they sit in the – it's a big limo, but they are very cramped together. And he brings up how much he could make in the limo, and she's like, I don't know about that. (laughs) She thinks often that his eyes are bigger than his ability, and maybe he should think of some more attainable goals like taking care of the kids or something. So their big destination for the date is a takeout burger place, and they just hang out by the open trunk of a limo. So they discuss how – this Bobo say this Bobo situation almost pushed her away, and she tells him that this is his uh, chance because she doesn't want this to happen again. So he pinky swears that nothing like this will happen again, and she says that maybe this will be the last chance that she gives chance. Uh, <laughs> and then things get very weird because we just see a production assistant being led into Taylor's house, and then we get a text on the screen. That's always good news that something right. wacky has happened. So. Apparently, 12 hours earlier, Taylor had said, told them that she kicked Chance out of the house. So they had to, like, fly out all the production people to talk to her. So she tells them that after work, she came home and he, like, he demanded to go through her phone is what it said soon. So she was yeah. more or less like, fine, I'm going through your phone, too. 
So as they were going through phones and she was finding suspicious things, of course, all of this is not new to the relationship. Um, and Taylor also is kind of like looping other things into it. She's like, I don't know, this could be suspicious. We don't have sex very much, so he must be getting it somewhere else. Anyway, so she found a text from a non, uh, uh, just a number that wasn't in the contact list. Um, and it was just a question mark. And he was like, hey, who sent you this question mark? And then he started getting really defensive. So she, you know, I guess went to the computer and jumped onto the call log. And there turns out to have been like 170 messages to that person like yesterday. Um, he just didn't delete all of them or he deleted them and then they sent one more or whatever. So uh, producers also managed to find Chance who's like sweeping up an attic or something. And he just says it's all hogwash and tries to change the subject and says oh, this is actually all Taylor's fault because she doesn't give me enough peace and solitude at home. So his story is that he is that he assumed the mystery number was Taylor trying to catfish him, um, you know, into cheating on him, which is dumb. Just like one of those tricks. She's always trying to trap me like that, man. She she just is. Um, so <laughs> so dumb. So he was gonna indulge her to like get even or something. I guess yeah. I don't know. Hard to say. Um. So anyway, uh, he says, uh, yeah. He, so he says uh, Taylor denies that she ever made any fake profiles to catfish him. And when she asks him about the number and his, his response was to stop asking questions. He was just to yell at her for asking questions and making assumptions. You always think the worst of me. She said he says he's she's constantly shaking him down and making accusations and he's tired of dealing with her cop ass. So then he um, he wanted to storm out and leave. But before he stormed out and leave, he chucked his phone into the toilet. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> Um, so she's pretty sure that he just threw the, to the phone in the toilet because to brick his phone, like, cause it's underwater yeah. now and it's bricked. Um, so after, uh, he left, she called the number he'd been texting. So when she called, it was a guy who answered and yeah. immediately hung up and then texted Taylor back to ask, well, who are you? So she says that, you know, through whatever the back and forth, she knows who the guy is and it's a guy she describes as the hoe of the town. So, so we bizarre. See some screenshots of the text conversation she has with this guy. So Ho Guy is certainly an experienced Ho because he is not giving anything away. Like she was like, <laughs> I feel like he's been cheating with you. And she, he's like, is that what you think? Like, maybe you should ask him like things like that. <laughs> oh, anyway. So it's it, but he is kind of also ribbing her being like, baby, you know, you're not going to leave him <laughs> like literally sent that. Yeah. So now she's pretty sure of it. At least her, her theory is that Chance is cheating on her with a dude. And so now it's even worse. Not only does she have to worry about him flirting with all the women in town, she has to worry about him flirting with all the men in town as well. God. Like, so um, so she says, I'm done though. He can go flirt and do whatever with whoever he wants. So then Chance calls while they're there and she answers it. So he immediately is like, What's wrong with you? Why do you sound irritated? Like he doesn't know what's going on. So <laughs> he says he's tired of her shit. And she's like, where's my laptop? Because then we found out that after he stormed out, he came, broke back into the house later to get his stuff and also took her laptop. She's pretty sure it's one of those, oops, I accidentally took your laptop. I guess I'll have to come back to give it back. Oh, God. Uh, deals. What about so, your child? That is I a know. legit reason to have to come back. Right. You, oh, my God. So he says he'll come back today anyway to get his shit, but he doesn't want to give her a, a time. And she's just like, I just want the kids not to be here for this. They've seen us fight too much. Um, so anyway, he says he's downloaded everything on the laptop and 
whatever. She's dirty, but isn't specific about the, what this means. So the episode just ends with us really not knowing much more than we knew when it started. Um, yeah. The fact that there's a text, a dude, she's dirty. Um, so I guess, do you buy any of Chance's Actually, Taylor's just as bad as I am. She's dirty. She does a lot of sneaky shit, too. Or is he just projecting and deflecting? Oh, just projecting. Um, <laughs> although, just the whole, like, where it turned that Chance was having homosexual encounters, that just seems odd to me. Because he seems like one of those guys that are, like, overly... like Aggressively hetero? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. bro. Like, no, so, bro. Yeah, but a lot. Some people who are specifically aggressively hetero are doing it just to like yeah cover to up. cover up. Yeah. But yeah. to me, what seemed more of a reasonable explanation for all this is that's his drug dealer. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I was like, it's probably getting something else from the from the hoe guy besides besides sex, and it's right. probably drugs. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was what my thinking was, just simply because his behavior. We know that it escalates and gets all crazy like you know like we had that spoiler last week where we had kind of talked about you know an update of where they're mm-hmm. kind of are and the stories are a little nuts and it's like you know it just seems like how did you go from where they were to like as wild as they are now and it's just like you gotta suspect that drugs are involved for sure absolutely yeah. mm-hmm. and so yeah. i don't yeah. know where there's drugs there's a drug dealer so why can't that guy be the drug dealer yeah, I mean, that that seems like the most plausible explanation to me mm-hmm. as well. Um, but that also is going to get her kick, get kicked out of the house, right? Like, Yeah. And, I mean, and it is, I don't know, it's very, it, it does sound like somebody who's using a gamer, like, she don't know, like, let me tell you about her. Like, she's just crazy too, man. Like, that. that's very, right. that is very on brand for people who are using, right? To right, deflect right. everything. We're going to get this conversation as far away from me as we can. And actually, everybody else is coming after me. And that's the big problem. Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't we talking about how I'm the victim here? Right? That's, yeah. we've seen it before. Right. And like having a delusion in a way where you believe your own lies. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I, oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he really truly believes. He absolutely does. Absolutely. Yeah, he believes every word he's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, let's move on to a little less drama, and that's Lindsay and Blaine. So Miley is curling her hair as Lindsay is supervising. She checks in with Miley, asking how she likes living there instead of being at Gammy's house. Miley doesn't think it's all that different, just Gammy isn't there. Lindsay says she's happy Miley is getting along with Blaine and Kagan because she asked him to marry her. Miley asks if it seems right if Blaine wasn't the one to ask because, you know, he should probably take a hint that he wasn't ready. She says it just doesn't seem normal and she wonders if Blaine even wants to get married to Lindsay. Lindsay says that she wants a family unit and she wants stability. Miley then asks if maybe she's settling. Lindsay says that if she doesn't know uh, if she, she says that she doesn't know if she could do sober life without Blaine. Miley just thinks that, you know, she could do better. But Lindsay says, well, doesn't matter. It's done. <laughs> We're engaged. Lindsay says that she wants to get married in a month. And Miley wonders if she's pregnant. Lindsay says no. And then Miley lists off all the challenges, like picking out clothes for the wedding if they're going to get married in just a month. Lindsay is actually kind of mad about this conversation, uh, and she's asking for Miley to just ease up. 
Later, Lindsay is telling Blaine her plans to go wedding dress shopping, and Blaine is wondering why she's trying to lock this down quick because he's unaware of her quick timeline. She says that she wants to get married in a month, and Blaine gives a deep sigh as Lindsay wiggles her empty finger in his face, saying she looks single and she needs a ring. Mm. Blaine says that she's the best and deserves the best, which can't really happen right now in their current situation. Lindsay says that she doesn't care how much it costs or how small it is. He says he just doesn't want to turn her finger green. Blaine is feeling the pressure, even though he says he has every intention of marrying her. He's excited but nervous and wants everything to be right. Lindsay says that the perfect time is never there. You have to be a person of action. And Blaine wonders if they will be trying for a baby quickly, too. And Lindsay says that it's a bad time. Blaine says that they will have nine months to get ready. But Lindsay, she's just worried because, you know, she's got that prison sentence potentially hanging over her head. Mm -hmm. Lindsay goes to the doctor talking about her uh, IUD that she had just got put in a couple weeks ago. She's had some bleeding and she wants confirmation that it's still there. Lindsay doesn't want to be pregnant in prison because, as she says, her baby will have a prison number. And she gives us horror stories of the healthcare system in prison. Lindsay doesn't want to have an argument with Blaine, so she decided on not telling him about the IUD. She's a little worried that Blaine will feel the IUD uh, when they're having sex, which will give away her lie. So she's trying to hide something from him. But I feel like he would understand, like, and I feel like he wouldn't want that either. Like, why would he uh, essentially be want to be a single dad while she's in prison for, you know, potentially the baby's life? I mean, I think it's, because it, I think it goes the other way. I, I agree with you. I'm like, I, I I think having a baby now is a very poor choice. But he's like, mm-hmm. okay, but if we get married and we don't have a baby right now before you go to prison and you go to prison for 40 years, we are never having a baby, <laughs> right? That This is literally the only chance we have, right? It just seems like odd though. I, like, I get what you're saying, but it's like, I don't know. I think there are some people who would choose, you know, parenthood as a single parent because I know, I mean, there are people that do, right? That choose sure. to mm-hmm. adopt or, you know, go the donor route and they, a full intention, whether or not that actually is the case, like in practice, but full intention of being a single parent. But I don't know if Blaine really is trying to be a single parent. Who already has two kids to take care of? Yeah, I just I feel like there's a there's a little bit of a cultural thing here, and I, you know that I don't mean it's not cultural. I think a lot of people just feel like a relationship that doesn't end with you two having a baby is a relationship that didn't like fully make its whole. It, it was it's an incomplete relationship, mm-hmm. right? Okay. The same that similar to how there's people, and I think they're I think it's bullshit that like your no one's life is complete unless they have children, right? Mm-hmm. There are certainly people who think that. I don't. I hard disagree with that. Yeah. But, but there are people, and I think there are people who just think that a relationship, like you're, when you get married and you have kids, that's when the relationship, check, we've checked all the boxes in the relationship. We've you know got the gold star for the relationship. This is a, a five-star relationship now because we, <laughs> you're, we did all the things you're supposed to do in a relationship. Because I'm, And I, I, I kind of think that because literally how many people in this show do we see that are rushing to have a baby, even though they like already have kids? Yeah. 
Yeah, it, like it's wild. Like Justine and Michael, mm-hmm. like definitely Sean and Sarah, right? Like it, it's just like that's all. It's just we get well. It's well, not. A, it's not a real relationship unless you have a baby. Like, I feel like Sarah and Sean, that was an oopsie baby, right? Because I don't think Sarah would have chose that for herself. But Justine and Michael, that was 100% planned and intentional. Yes. Yes. And we've seen other planned and intentional ones too. Like I remember mm-hmm. the one from a few years ago. Remember the one where he was in like Vegas and the, or like he was in California and they went to Vegas. Oh, and like, yeah, yeah. They were like on the They're day not even he was together. out of prison. They're not together anymore. Yeah. But like the day they got out of prison, it was like, put a baby in me. I was like, why, why, why are we doing this so fast and so quickly? Like, I don't know. And it wasn't even, because to me it wasn't even, because especially the ones, especially like the Justine and Michael situation, mm-hmm. when they already have kids. Right. And they're like, yes, but our, our relation, we don't have a kid together. That has Why? to happen too, which yeah. I don't understand at all. Yeah, it's almost like you think like, oh, baby mama or baby daddy has something on you because they have kids with that person. It's like, no. May, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's kind of the thought process of it. It's like, oh, we got to get nip that in the bud. But like, yeah, just so now she's stuck with this IUD, which I totally get her being like, Yo, I got this thing changed out two months ago. I am not taking it back out right now. No. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I don't know. It's just – you could tell – I don't know. It, just, it, it also just does seem like concerning that you wouldn't tell him. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like we've had a couple situations like between this show and 90 Day Fiance. Oh, 90 Day, yeah. 90 Day had Jasmine yeah. was taking birth control and wasn't telling Gino. Right, right, right. Right. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, at the end of the day, it's their body, but they should communicate that stuff with their partner. Yeah. And it's like, you can feel it if you know what you're trying to feel. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And it's like, not and not every time, but it's like, if... If he doesn't know what that is, he's not going to be like, what? You have an IUD. Like, that's like a... Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. It's not stabbing you when you're having sex, so... Well. Yeah. It, 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 but it's like not like a hard, hard, like, stab. But it's like if, you know, it's like a... You, no, it's like a pokey cable. Like, if you take it and, like, poke your hand with it, it's like, oh, that kind of pokes. That kind of sticks. What are you doing? Oh, it's not like a okay. knife or anything, but it's definitely, like, pokey. Um, okay. All right, good to know, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so moving on. Let's talk Justine and Michael, because that's who I have left. So the whole family is back from the gender reveal party, and they're here for what, look, it seems like it's the going away meal for everybody, and it's a big old spread of food. So Maria says it's a Dominican-American breakfast. Um, It's American because there's pancakes, and it's Dominican because everything else is Dominican. So time is running out for them to tell everyone that they are moving to Vegas. And just thinking about doing that is bringing Justine to tears. So she's concerned that Michael's family, especially his children, are going to blame her for taking him away from them. So the anxiety is not going to last too long because it's not super long before Michael says, I have an announcement and calls everybody into the room. So he tries to throw it to Justine. It's like, he says like, I have an announcement, Justine. And she's like, Mike. (laughs) So she throws it right back to him. So he spits it out. Then, and he says it, he says, we're moving to Vegas, and then everybody is confused. So Maria thought the baby was going to be born in Rhode Island. Justine's mom is like, wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. So Justine then promises that Vegas has so many more opportunities for them as a family in general, and in general, and Mike's Mike's music more specifically. So she hopes they, everybody's going to support them and also come out there to visit. So at this point, Mike's uh, six-year-old son, Mason, asks if they can come too. 
Mike says that he'd like that, but he would have to talk to his mom about it. So no. Then his daughter, Nova, who's also six, starts to cry without saying a word. So Maria says that it's devastating and that things are moving way too fast. So Michael keeps asking Nova what's wrong. Like he picks her up and is crying. He's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? It's like, you know what? And his sister Anne is like, <laughs> you know what's wrong? Like, what are you talking about what's wrong? So Anne says that uh, it's the same kind of feeling she had to deal with when he was in jail. And now it's not just going to be Michael that's gone, but they started to get an attachment to Justine and the kids, and they're going to be gone too. So Sherry, who's Justine's mom, just wants to know if this decision was made with the kids' best interest in mind. Like, what about seeing your kids? Like, and did you talk to the other baby mamas about seeing them? And yeah. no, no, nobody, this decision, nobody knows how it's going to work. Um, so Sherry then asks Melody, who is uh, Michael's oldest, if she would ever want to move out there with them. And she's torn about it. She would want to be over there to be closer to, their, to her father, but also wouldn't want to leave Mason and Nova either. So Michael's initial visitation plan, like his plan is for the Vegas crew to fly out, like, you know, them to fly back up to Rhode Island once a month or so. And the Rhode Island crew can also, like, those kids can fly out to Vegas once a month. So they'd see each other like every other week. We're going to come back to that. So there's a bunch of hugs and promises and tears and things and things like that. So they have little kids in interviews. Oh, my God, which was awful. Saying like, I wish my dad wasn't leaving. It was very oh sad. So Michael just keeps saying that this is something he has to do. It just has to be done. Um, he doesn't want to leave his kids, but this is his calling. His calling, Miss H. Oh, gosh. All right. So anyway, so now the pressure of telling everybody was, is off. It's done. It's time to pack up for the move. So Kylie doesn't mind because uh, she can use it as an excuse to raid Justin's closet, Justine's closet. So they'll be leaving in one week just in time to get everything unpacked and settled in before the baby comes. So while he's packing up, Michael gets a call from his parole officer who asks him to come in and to discuss things. So he leaves in the middle of packing because it, this parole thing is a tricky situation because he has federal charges and state charges. So he has to get federal approval and state approval. And there's lots of paperwork and blah, 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 blah. Um, so he says everything in the state is good, so this must be a federal officer. Uh, but, you know, he's still got to play by their rules for another 20 years. So Justine, Justine feels like he'll, he won't fully feel like prison is behind him until he has a fresh start in Vegas. So, of course, we don't see what happens in the parole building, but he seems pretty frustrated when he comes out. So it, turn, it turns out that they weren't able to expedite the transfer process because he was missing one of the forms. He says he never got it. Maybe it got lost in the mail. Maybe a kid threw it away. Who knows? But he didn't turn it in because he didn't have it. And now he doesn't know how it happened, but he pretty he thinks it's his fault. And, you know, he might have to wait anywhere between 30 to 90 days before he can go out there. He really doesn't want to have to tell this to Justine, not just because of the time stress, um, but because financially, now they're going to have they already have the place in Vegas and they're going to have to keep renting the house they have here until they can go out there. So that's like double. Um, so anyway, so he pulls into a Target parking lot and FaceTimes her and lies about the situation. She's like, oh how'd it God. go? He's like, fine. So he just says everything. He tells her everything went well and his her and then her stress level. She's like, oh, my God, I feel so much less stressed, which is not a good thing for him because he's just like, psych. He doesn't say oh, that. Gosh. He couldn't bring himself to tell her over the phone. He wants to tell her in person, which is why he says he lied. Um, but because this is going to be like the most he's ever let her down. Mm -hmm. All right. So I guess my question is, um, how worried can they be about paying two mortgages if they want to fly people, five or six people across the country two times a month? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. Like when you think of, you know, people who have 
successful music careers? Where are their where is their home base? Vegas is not one of them. No, it's you LA. Know? Right. Or you think of Atlanta. New York, or, Atlanta. Sure. Atlanta. Right. Those sure. are the places you think about. Like not mm-hmm. Las Vegas. It just I don't I don't know what they're doing. Like so what is the real reason? The theory, the theory I heard here, and which mm-hmm. I don't discount, is that if you're in Vegas as a felon on parole who needs travel papers to leave the state, yeah. there's a lot of venues that you can go to and not leave the state and not even leave the town. Right, sure. A lot of centralized okay. venues, right? So if you are worried about playing a lot of live shows, there's a lot of places to play without having to go on to like a tour. Okay, that totally makes sense because, you know, a lot of people have residencies out there or something, mm-hmm. you know, but not to say that he's as big where he's going to yeah, be he's residency. Gonna the, he's going to play the sphere, Miss H. <laughs> right, <laughs> but you know what I mean, like, you know, it very much could be a thing uh, for musicians. But, uh, yeah, I just, I'm confused by this whole thing, like, what what his actual plan is. I just, what's Mocha doing? Like, mm-hmm. who I is, just, is Mocha I, even producing anyone, like, decent? I can't, I can't make it work. They, they, like, the money is just crazy. Like, I, uh, Starcasm told us how much their house was, like, a $500,000 house. Yeah. Right. They're talking about uh, the way I figured it. I, I did a quick like search, you know, Google, like do map back of the envelope math. It's going to cost them if they want to do that visitation thing. It's going to cost 50 grand a year. Yeah. To fly that gosh. much back and forth. So we're talking about like 90. We're talking about like $100,000 in expenses before you buy a car, before you get food, before you get anything like and neither of them have a job. Like, where is this money coming from? I don't right. understand. Like, I mean, I, I can think of one place this money might be coming from. <laughs> Like, because he had a lot of money before he went to prison, too. Yeah. Yeah, the drug money, sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, it, it just it's it's just seems like an awful plan. I don't know. I feel like they're reliant on the show, right? Mm-hmm. I think as soon as the show goes away and the show money goes away, they're going to be really screwed. Um, and it just is like, it, it really, really seems like this dude is just noping out on his family because he wants to follow his pipe dream, which is ridiculous. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, we have so many situations like that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Cameron and Eris, I'm thinking kind of the same thing where it's not even like, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get rid of your family, pretend they don't exist, but it's like really just not prioritizing them the way that they should be prioritized. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, he, he, and Cam does it a little bit, but he does it too. They just convince mm-hmm. themselves that their dream, their daydream is what would be best for their family. Well, yeah. Like, and I think part of that is the rationale that they're like, well, my daydream will provide for the family. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, and like, if they're as successful as they think they're going to be in their heads, it's like everyone will benefit because of the money. Right. But I mean, that's just uh, it's also just that kind of ridiculous. You, you have a, a less than one percent chance of success. Whereas mm-hmm. if you just went and got a job at Target, you're not going to be making the big bucks, but you'll be providing for the family, you'll be making right. money for the family 100 percent of the time. Right? Yeah. They're just yeah. convinced that they're just convinced that this thing that is a one in a million shot is definitely going to happen for that. Right. Which is like grow up, like, like grow up, man. 
Yeah. Well, there's two of them that think that on this very season. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. All right. Uh, so we didn't hear from a couple couples this yeah, week. From a lot. There was no Eris and Cameron. There was no Eris and Cameron. There was no Cameron. Brittany and Key Rock. Right. Sarah Sean. And Joy and Red. There was a lot of people we yeah, didn't hear from. Yeah, a lot of people missing. Uh, I don't know if that means we're winding down at some point or we just had an insane number of couples. Uh, we have this. a lot of couples, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So out of the group we saw this week, who is your student of the week? Uh, I said Louis. I mean, I feel like he's kind of a default. I wanted to go Chevelle. I was real close to going to Chevelle until she mm-hmm. started just screaming for no reason. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Louis, he was. He, 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 I like people getting jobs. I like people trying to get jobs. Good for you. Right. Your- <laughs> no, I gave it to Louis as well. Like, poor guy. Like, I just feel for him. He's like trying to be better, trying to do life but you know it's it's tough to come back from certain things and i think mm-hmm. he's really feeling that and it it just it seems like such a shame because he seems to have the best of intentions right and i don't think it's gonna help his intentions are not gonna be helped by doing what you're supposed to be doing trying your best going out there and doing yeah. it again and then coming home to what are you even doing right. you're not even trying are you like oh melissa all yeah. right uh what about your dunce i said chance um, that was whatever he was doing with the phone, chucking his phone. In the, why didn't he just take his phone with him? Why did he put yeah. it in the toilet? I don't understand what any of this. No, I agree. Chance is a hundred percent the dunce. We're definitely on the same page this week. Uh, I, I don't understand. It's like, really you're hurting yourself unless that's some random burner phone, which I wouldn't be surprised. What she was already looking at. I don't know. It's very confusing. Yeah. I definitely saw like a service. I don't know what I was doing. I forget it was Reddit or somebody, somebody that was on that like there's now a service called Burner that gives you a fake phone number <laughs> to go like it's an app. That's a phone app. It's like, oh, it's like, my, oh my God. This wow. is uh, bad news. Don't get that app. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. Okay. So what about your life lesson? All right. Mine goes directly to Michael, right? And this goes to the way he announced that they were leaving, right? Mm-hmm. And... He said something to the effect of the family and I are moving to Las Vegas. And mm. one thing is like, do not ever, when talking to your children, oh gosh, you refer to any group as the family that does not include them. Right. Oh yeah, that's so sad. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. Uh, my life lesson is geared towards chance. It's like He's constantly thinking about his next get rich scheme. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's like he has too many investments and he's just investing to see what sticks. And that's just not an effective strategy. Like by the time you do get something that sticks and is profitable, you have like sunk all your money and all these other things that aren't profitable. And he also can't focus on one thing to make it yeah, successful. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he could stick to something long enough for it to become profitable. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've said from the beginning that he's awful with money. <laughs> yeah, he's worst. he's just he's just awful all around. Yeah, he really is. All right. So, how will we be back again with the same group uh next week? Yep. See everybody so then. So, until then, okay. okay. Bye. Bye.